0: Hi, you're listening to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively brings insights from the Indian space activities ecosystem. I'm your host Narain, the co-founder of India's first space-focused think tank, Spaceport Sarabhai. Guests on the New Space India podcast help you understand space activities-related macro and micro trends within India in all aspects, including space history, local industry, space science, technology evolution, Law and policy, art, and more. The New Space India podcast is supported by Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing businesses and people with collaborative virtual environments to enable sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups, small and medium scale enterprises, and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellites. Hi, and
1: welcome to yet another episode of the New Space India podcast. Uh, today we have here uh, Kiran, who is one of the co-founders of uh, Kepler Aerospace. Kepler has been uh, one of the more interesting startups that I met uh, in the recent past and have been following uh, with all their uh, progress with technical work uh, and also the winning of the IDEX challenges. So Kiran, thank you so much for taking the time to speaking with me i'm uh, very interested to learn about how kepler has evolved in the years uh, that has and then how you
2: see the company moving forward in the years to come right thank you so much for having me np it's always a pleasure talking to you i always learn something whenever i meet you at all these conferences and so on so it's a pleasure talking to you again so awesome let's uh let's talk about our company so shall we start with where we started as kepler so we actually started that would in 2018 be my first question to you <laughs> right right so we started somewhere at the end of 2018 uh, almost 2019 is when we started and we started because uh, i was just finishing my masters at tu delft and uh, my co-founder my tech co-founder Sujay narayana was my senior he was finishing his phd at tu delft at the same time and the other co-founder Namith was at that time in ISRO and he was the systems engineer on the INS series of satellites. Uh, he was working on that at ISRO and I had to come to ISRO because I was part of the Lunar Zebro team and then some of the testing, etc., was planned at ISRO. And similarly, Sujay was also there because he also had some testing to do at ISRO uh, facilities for some of his space positioning systems and other things that he was developing as part of his thesis and so on. So when we were all working together in ISRO and having a laugh after uh, work and so on, that's when. We kind of identified this opportunity that uh, the hardware side, the avionics side, the upstream side on the satellite uh, thing is basically only done at ISRO. And I we could almost al- already see that the writing is on the wall that the future is going to expand into the private sector, which is where we thought there's an opportunity. And even in that, we thought that uh, ISR, intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance is going to, it's basically almost sort of... Very small or not really very big or very widely understood. And we thought that we could, we really understood that subject. So that's where we got into this. And that's how we started. We've been very lucky uh, because uh, we uh, originally decided that, look, we are going to like, you know, reach some level before we start bringing in outside investors or something. So we decided to be bootstrapped and uh, that's actually worked out quite well for us because we have been able to generate revenue and uh, not only revenue but significant profits as well to sustain ourselves uh you know mainly by uh, selling avionics like rf systems data links transceivers such things GNSS systems such things to you know drdo and other government customers for you know on other platforms as well like satellite drone other platforms as well so that's how we have come so far and then uh, we were also part of this whole. Uh, you know, this uh, space policy thing, which started around 2020, I think is when the basic idea of uh, doing that started, uh, which is when uh, also at around the same time as I think, when the idea of IDEX also started, approximately around that same time. And that's what we were kind of targeting. And now I think two of our IDEX wins uh, has been announced. Both are IDEX prime. So that's 10 crores each in grants uh, in the IDEX in Defence space. And I think there's a couple more in the pipeline. So let's talk about that once it's announced. Uh, but yeah that's and that's been our journey so far and right now i think we are pretty decently positioned to build the entire tech stack around the isr intelligence surveillance reconnaissance uh, the entire tech stack starting from the upstream part of the satellites as well as the ground station side as well as the you know the data processing side so that's where we want to integrate and uh, create a uh, create our value that's correct so uh, you know that's a terrific uh,
1: introduction and about the team and how it Came together and and so on. So, you know, this is a sector where, as you said, uh, raising capital is difficult. You need a lot of capital to begin and and so on. Um, you know, what was the thought around uh, how do we sustain uh, the initial product development or uh, or even approaching uh, customers like you mentioned, like DRD or For a young company, very small company, a very small team is extremely difficult. Um, yeah. How were you able to
2: navigate both of them? So basically everything that you uh, you can do without money is uh, strategy, right? So our strategy has basically been uh, multifold. One thing is with respect to access to customers as well as the infrastructure required and so on, we decided to work via partnerships. I think one of our partnerships that gets quite widely spoken about is our uh, JV and our partnership with a company called Aiden Technologies. Uh, who are also based out of Bangalore who are uh, who are our uh, manufacturing partners so wh- where these guys really helped us out was with respect to making procurement easy with respect to making the fabrication manufacturing prototyping and all these things easy as well as uh, when we go and sit in front of a customer it becomes easy for us to explain where we're getting this made. Because they, at the end of the day, what I'm giving the customer is a solution, right? So, But they can't buy a solution or an idea or a design. They have to buy a product. So when they ask you where you're going to make it, luckily, our strategic partnerships uh, helped us out there. And another thing that we identified with respect to building infrastructure, uh, with respect to production or fabrication, is that there's so much excess capacity left in the market. And there's multiple reasons for this. Mainly, the reason is, uh, historic ISRO procurement policy, where you have to show an infrastructure for you to get an order for uh, providing a manufacturing service or whatever, right? So all of these, so there's so many people who, around the Bangalore, Hyderabad, uh, Chennai, and even Ahmedabad regions where they've built up this huge uh, capacity, which is uh, sort of not completely utilized. So these people were very happy to allow us to utilize their excess uh, capacity. So this has been a part of the strategy. And the other thing is that let's say we are talking about say, communication systems, right? Like RF, say transceivers or data links or something. So these, again, we are doing the R&D, we're building the product for our own satellite and for the space stack itself. But uh, the point is that these designs are kind of modular and adaptable to other platforms such as drones. It's not, I mean, if you really think about it, if you're building something space grade, mill grade is actually one grade sort of below. I mean, uh, to say, in, uh, like, with respect to the qualification requirements, and so on, the only difference at the end is going to be on the testing side and the certifications and things like that, right? So that's where we kind of uh, utilize this opportunity that... Uh, You know, there's excess capacity in the market, there is demand, uh, there's unfulfilled demand from the customer side, because there was, I mean, even now, there's actually not that many people who are doing core product development and delivering a product to any of these government agencies more, there's more service delivered than uh, product and the product design. Uh, value chain is mostly retained within these government organizations, generally speaking. So this is, again, uh, something that we saw as an opportunity and that's where things really worked for us and what the result of this has been a significant subsidization of the total R&D cost. So that's uh, where we really took advantage of that. And I think there is a logical step where you have to reach before you raise capital because I, I mean, there's been many, I, I think there's only maybe two or three people I can think of who has raised a logical amount of capital, right? Like the, I would say the top, the two, three people who have raised the biggest amount of capital are the only people who have raised this amount of capital that is logical towards the goal that they're trying to get to like you can't do any of the things that any of these people are talking about within one two million dollars or even five million dollars or something those numbers just like it doesn't it doesn't even give you an edge over anybody like even the guy with uh, his hands empty probably has the same chance as you if you only have one two million dollars to do something in space especially upstream uh right so so we are waiting up so there's something that i keep uh saying to people which is that if you want to like, you know, there's a logical amount of entry barrier in terms of capital in every industry. So, for example, if you, if you want to be in the oil drilling business, right, you need a at least $250 million just to start on a very small niche artisanal level. This. So similarly in space, also there's a bare minimum amount of capital that you need to be able to raise to like, you know, to if you want to get to some level. So that's, I think, uh, uh something that's important to keep in mind so the, even when we do choose to raise capital it will be of a quantum that's that we feel is logical towards our goals right and no that is also an interesting segue to how
1: to really open doors within uh, institutions like isro and drdo right given that uh, probably you know navneet uh, had some background uh, being from an institution like isro probably helps uh, to a large extent as i can imagine but for any other young company that is starting out uh, to this end, you know, there was always, uh, those doors are open to conversations often, but may not be open to contracts. Right. So the difference between like conversations and contracts for sure. Uh, and which is a, actually a very significant difference uh, between going from conversations to contracts. So what is the journey that you guys took? from uh, conversations to contracts when it comes to these kinds of institutions and uh-huh. what was the timeline like and was it aggressive enough for you
2: and so on no that's uh you brought up a very good question it's definitely a frustrating timeline there's no doubt about that because there's several rounds of meetings several rounds of conversations and uh I don't know how many young startups are going to have the patience to sit through that we kind of had the patience because all three of us have a background from these organizations like sales row and so on. So we knew very well how long each of these things take. So we kind of had that patience, but uh, definitely it is a long drawn out process. And I think uh, you need to be creative in how you're solving the problem for the customer, because at the end of the day, look, it's, you're not gonna be able to convince him to change his procurement rules. I mean, it's not even in his hands to be frank. Right. It's not even it, those rules are very broadly like a, it's come from a consensus of many different organizations and so on. Right. So you're not going to be able to change procurement rules. You're only going to be able to figure out a way in which you're going to be able to fit into that, which is, for example, how we did with Aiden where we come in and they're already been a manufacturing service provider uh, for all these organizations for I think around 15 years or so now. So, so when we come along with them and say that we're going to use their manufacturing expertise for the implementation part and what I am providing to you, I'm going to explain the entire value of that, which is basically the design and the idea and the solution and things like that. Those things are, can be communicated and those things Uh, like uh, can be appreciated by the customer that, oh, I see, okay, this design is this good and that's why I want this. But with respect to how do I buy this, when you bring somebody who can, uh, with a history in this as your partner, I think that's the most logical and simplest way of entry, I would say, for most startups. I think that's the approach that should be taken. I think uh, uh, even across the ecosystem, especially in space, I would say there is a, uh, I think most people in this industry are very open to collaboration especially because it's small and, uh, you know, it's not that highly competent. It's not a super mature market. Like it's not like say cement business or something, right? So it's not super well-developed market. So most people are very open to collaboration. So I think just speaking to more people in the ecosystem will give you all of those ideas and all of those pathways for you to get a, a proper entry.
1: Right. And in fact, you know, the thing that you mentioned um, actually also goes in parallel with the same thought process uh, with another company that I know, which is in Hyderabad, which is XT-Links. Uh, right. They probably have taken a very similar approach as you have right. uh, by partnering with uh, Anant Technologies. Correct. Correct. Uh, in the very same way, right? So uh, I think, you know, that may be a model that not many people have uh, exploited And it makes sense because uh, from what you're saying, because uh, you are thinking from a bootstrap perspective. yeah. Therefore, you're looking at these kinds of partnerships as uh, strategic because often the thinking comes from uh, if the capital or uh, capital has been called or raised at the very early stage without much of product development or without much of uh, product traction with the customer, then investors want to own as much as possible. Uh, yeah. they want to also own the facility they want to own uh, you know equipment everything possible to a large extent and they probably don't appreciate these kinds of partnerships at that level because they see that as uh, more of a constraint working with somebody else rather than uh, uh, considering the spend on the infrastructure itself as uh, part of the capital burn that right. goes to developing the ip or so on so i think that's the more uh uh, the difference between yeah, what you are doing or what XT links is doing to, to yeah. other companies.
2: Yeah, at the end of the day, I would say, NP, it's about like the business, right? So what is the business that you're trying to create? So you have to be very clear that what is the entire value uh, that you're creating, starting from customer traction in the sense that is your product uh, needed and useful etc from the customer point of view is it uh, something that they want etc start and then going down to how are you making this are you making this cheaply efficiently and then you go all the way back uh this come and that goes into your procurement and your supply chain have you at least built a supply chain have you built a way of building a product have you developed an approach and a roadmap towards product development and the entire tech stack development what is the tech stack what are the choices you've made in your tech stack uh, where you're creating value. Like it's if I randomly create a, let's say a transceiver and a completely unconnected thing, like say, you know, something completely off, which doesn't add any kind of synergy. It doesn't add towards any vertical of a particular use cases, value chain in our cases, ISR in uh, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, right? So we are building the entire value, uh, all the products along the value chain of this. And that is our approach and in terms of and, and so i don't think money can buy you this uh, e- even if you raise a lot of money i don't think this can be purchased uh, i think this has more to do with the cr- trust and credibility that you have established in the ecosystem and in the market and in the customers minds and across all the you know all the players the trust and credibility that you have created in your approach, I think that's what creates this kind of value. And also your understanding and your team's knowledge of the use case, as well as the entire supply chain is what creates this value. I think creating the value is the focus rather than uh, whether something can be solved with uh, funding or not, or whether something uh, can be solved in some other way or not. I think that it's very crucial that, you think from a business perspective where you start from where, what is your supply chain? What are your problems with that? What is your manufacturing challenges? What are the constraints with respect to that? How are you meeting certifications? How are you meeting testing standards? And then how are you de-risking it all the way into getting it, uh, you know, in space, et cetera. And then how are the customers finally using your data and how does it come via? say a ground station is, so the like in the entire chain, the ground station is the main security challenge, right? And that communication link is the main security, weakest link in the security, right? So how are you handling those things? So when you're able to create this value, I think that's what builds businesses more than uh, how much do you say burn or something? I would say that's where at least our focus is maybe I'm old school that way. Maybe I, uh, maybe I got ruined by doing other businesses in the past. No, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's just what works for you. Yeah. So yeah
1: it's uh, it's a question of, uh, you know, being comfortable with either raising invest cam- investment capital and maybe if you get the timing wrong, then the company doesn't survive or, yeah. you take a different approach. It's just a uh, approach uh, and the yeah. comfort uh, zone yeah. that people can be in. And uh, at the end of the day, the market rules, uh, the yeah. outcomes, Uh, Correct. So it's just a question of what really then uh, works best at that point of time. Yeah. uh, In the product or the service uh, at the end, right? So very true. Right. So, and, you know, when you talk about uh, IDEX, for example, Mm -hmm.
0: uh,
1: it's uh, been something that uh, we've been pushing for a long long time uh, that this kind of a, a challenge based model, as well as opening up the ability for the industry to develop products uh, on its own uh, comes to, you know, be, become an opportunity for young companies uh, to, to do something. Uh, obviously, you know, there is going to be challenges and gaps in that system, uh, but at least the opportunity is now it exists to allow yeah. it to contribute to that. How has been uh, your experience of uh, applying to these grants and... Uh, you know, now that you've won a couple of them, uh, what are the types of products you'll be developing through these challenges?
2: So, uh, we won two uh, challenges, uh, mainly for swarm satellites, uh, so that the and also for the ADCS uh, systems for the said satellites. So, we are building ADCS systems as well as the entire satellite itself. Uh, so, the project is to deliver several satellites uh, that's going to be working on, again, ISR. Uh, ISR specifically uh you know two two three different types of remote sensing solutions are going to be on this swarm so it's a data fusion sort of approach that's what you are going to be working on and I think like you said uh the IDEX challenges has been very uh heartening to see I would say because it gives two very crucial things one is it gives you an understanding and something in something very concrete and in writing as this is what the customer wants this is what this is something that we want is very clearly stated that's one very good thing the other good thing is that this subsidizes costs of technology development so these are the you know main takeaways from this uh, and it's also quite good to see that the organizations involved are themselves pretty aggressive in terms of timelines and to follow up and push it and so on. I mean, I think uh, there are things, to, there are always things to complain about, but I think uh, it's important to focus on how big a step this is compared to where we were, say, you know, five years ago, or even three years ago. I think it's a big uh, step, and uh, I think this gives us a lot of credibility in terms of our product market fit, also. Uh, so that is something that we are always very happy to get a very clear signal from the market, and this is, I think, one such signal. So, what is your uh, you know current strategy
1: in uh, realizing these uh, products? Because I believe that IDEX also has a, a matching uh, amount of money that you need to bring to the table. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we had a brief conversation in Delhi about uh, yes. how we how you could do this uh, or so on. So, yes. So. Um, obviously, I think this also remains a question to other startups who are in the yeah. in that domain and so on. So what would be your, uh, you know, let's say recommendation to based on your experience, obviously, but also to the other companies who are probably in the future will compete in these?
2: Right. I would say that uh, I, I think the reason that this problem has not come up before. Uh, is because the previous IDEX, uh the quantum of fund was very small. It was, I think, limited to 1.5 crores. And even in that, I think most of the actual awards was not of the full amount, but it was only a part. I think most of them were like 30 lakhs, 50 lakhs type of money for which the mat- matching contribution was a small number. But in our case, say, for example, because both are primes, even though uh, 20 crores are, is coming from uh, the IDEX side, there's a 20 crores minimum matching contribution, but naturally this project is going to be larger than that. So so i would say that uh, we are basically like i said this is uh, indicative of two things this is just a grant towards the subsidy of a technology development so what would have otherwise anyway cost you say 40 50 crores now it would cost you only 30 crores because 20 crores comes from the you know the actual end user itself so i think that's how we should be looking at this and to the other startups also i think that this Understanding of whether the IDEX route works or not is something that uh, multiple people come to the table and decide, right? Which is one thing is the investors who are coming and participating in this route. One thing is uh, the IDEX DIO, uh, you know, that organization itself as to how they want to handle this. And uh, the startup also has to kind of make the call. So because the basic decision that you have to make is, okay, do you know what you're going to do with this technology once you have it at the end of it? because uh, it's not always guaranteed procurement is not always guaranteed at the end of this idex things so i mean and okay one simple solution to that is uh, can i go and just convince the uh, customer to uh, say that oh there has to be an moq or something that's one possible solution i don't know to what extent that is uh, acceptable because of uh, you know the uh, uh, because it involves procurement and money and so on right So that's one thing. And the other thing is that, uh, the other way of looking at it is that you look at it as a straight subsidy towards the technology development and you already have your own plan as to how you're going to use it at the end. So I think these are the two ways of looking at things. And then uh, I think from one thing that has to become clear is that uh, the ownership of the technology has to remain with the company. I think that there's no negotiation on that part. I think that's quite, uh, you know, obvious. And I think that is something that you have to put your foot down about.
1: So one of the uh, other uh, tracks that uh, we keep thinking about is um, IDEX is still not a complete service that you can provide to a customer yeah. Uh, yeah. because it's still um, a half baked solution to a full problem because uh, yeah. at the end of the day uh, you know there is uh, the full solution is when uh, you address the entirety of a problem like for example if you take an ISR, uh, problem or uh, even other problems, then there is uh, the question of uh, what do the stakeholder on the ground needs to uh, you know do when it has to be actionable uh, to right. a large extent. And providing a satellite is still half the solution, and oh. it's more about connecting that to the the requirements of the end user and to in being able to take action directly. Uh, right, on it. And one way to do that is probably to provide end-to-end service contracts. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, you can own the whole thing uh, and you can basically have an architecture where responsiveness uh, is more or less uh, the key factor uh, in which the whole solution is architected. Uh, For example, you know, uh, giving out data in half an hour. Uh, for somebody to then act on it, uh, actionable intelligence and half an hour for somebody to act. So how far are we uh, from your conversations with a lot of the stakeholders in realizing such contracts in the industry?
2: Uh, From a contract perspective, I think I'll come to that. But I think you brought up a very good point, which is that uh, what the end user of the data is expecting versus what are his priorities is a completely different language than the language that is spoken by the people who are thinking about owning the satellite itself in space and then simply delivering it that to another end user so th- the language spoken by these two people and their priorities are just it's 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 just completely different and uh, if you want to be able to be bilingual so to speak and speak both people's languages i think that's like how you pointed out uh, a consolidated contract is, I think, a great idea and a great way to go forward about this. And this is actually one of the... Your, what you said is actually exactly what our thinking is as well, which is why we want to integrate that stack of, across upstream and downstream in this particular vertical. That's the reason that we're doing this as well, where we want to be that bilingual people who are able to you know, understand the priorities of both these sets of people and uh, you know uh, deliver a service and a product to both these groups of people. So I think... Uh, going forward what you suggested which is the combined approach i think will become more and more acceptable it the trick only comes because these are two different uh, procurement agencies so how do you do that becomes a little bit tricky but i think that's a solvable problem because uh, there are already existing mechanisms as to how this is done right so there is a flow of data from different organizations whether it's a whatever, NTRO, DIPAC, DSA, whoever it is, there's, a, there's already an established way in which data flows between the user versus uh, satellites satellite that's already in orbit, which is you know previously developed by ISRO and so on, right? So I would say that because there is some history of this concept, I would say that it is going to be the future in the sense that I think that's how procurement is going to happen. It's only a matter of time that that level of conviction comes to the customer and uh, all the players involved that that happens. I think it's only a matter of, a little bit more of education, and that's it. I think that's the way forward.
1: Right. So, just to go back to you know the strategic partnership you talked about, hmm. uh, one thing that I would love to hear from you is, or uh, there's always also the trust that est- needs to be established on both sides, right? So obviously, right. you may be desperate to use a, a strategic partner like aiden but it's also they need to trust in your ability uh as well so we talked about the you know things that you brought to the table but uh, what gave them the confidence that they should be working with
2: you yeah so uh, again it's a two-way thing right it's like any other transaction so uh, you know it's all about at the end of the day it's about whether your interests are aligned or not aligned right that's basically what it always comes to and whether your skill sets are complementary or not that's the mm-hmm. other point so in our case Uh, Our skill sets were clearly complementary in the sense that we were very good at uh, coming up rapidly with solutions to problems and coming up with designs and uh, on the design side of things is where we really had a a focus on. Their strengths were obviously very clear. They were very good and they've been doing procurement for a very long time. Procurement is actually quite easy to think is easy, but it's not easy in space. I would just point that out uh, because supply chains are quite tricky. Uh, So... That's something that was a clear strength they had again, manufacturing and the credibility in manufacturing is again, a strength that they had, which were, which are things that we did not have. But what we brought to the table is a completely fresh approach. And the other important thing to notice is that we are not competing with them on anything basically. So we are not competing on an existing tender where there is X number of uh, Y product that has to be procured. We are not going to go into that type of thing. What we are doing is creating a completely new market for them, which they would have otherwise not done. And similarly, they are also opening doors for us in things that we would have otherwise not done, right? So that's where when you are able to communicate the value very clearly to your partner, that's when you have great partners. So like the art of partnership, I would say, is in your ability to communicate your value and your role very clearly. And uh, like you said, I mean, I think we also discussed this once in some conference or something like, in a chaotic world, clarity is the only valuable commodity, right? And when you're bringing that to the table, I think that's the secret to great partnerships also. Absolutely. So what
1: is the uh, road ahead uh, for, for for now for you guys? Because uh, you've established uh, a level of credibility uh, with the institutions that there are uh, in the country. Uh, do you see Kepler Aerospace as uh, a company that will work with the uh, local demand that is now starting to brew in India, especially because uh, I think even in the recent Aero India, there was uh, somebody in the Air Force who mentioned that uh, the government wants to spend something like 80,000 crores in, uh, in the aerospace in the next 10 years or so. It's, a, it's an extremely large amount of uh, capital uh, that is being spent with the government as an anchor and honestly, I think that is what has worked in most other countries as well. Yeah. Uh, without the government as an anchor, uh, the industry cannot really survive. So, would uh, Kepler double down on uh, this approach of basically taking this uh, addressable market as ninety uh, percent being government, uh, perhaps today, and uh, only focus on that, or you you believe that uh, you should be, you know? Focusing on uh, international customers and getting a pie of the international
2: market. No, definitely, uh, the international market is something that is part of our ambitions. Uh, so this is part of our broader goals. However, if you ask for what is the in the short term to middle term, what is our focus? I would say that that is double down and go all the way deep into where we are uh, in the direction that we're heading right now because we are clearly we cracked down at least three four barriers. So far, I think uh, there's only two, three more to break. And I think that's something that we are going to go through with all this IDEX things and all the make one that's happening. I think we are uh, quite uh, well positioned. I would say that we are quite kind of, I would go to the extent of saying we are kind of favorites for some of the make one projects as well. So I would say that once these things happen, I think uh, that itself is quite significant. And like you mentioned, uh, the government CapEx is where this is going to start boss. I think that, I think that is, that is, pretty much a given in a way and it's something that has to happen and i think that india is one of the places that it's definitely has to happen especially because of our lag compared to the other uh, other space par- spacefaring powers i would say that our uh, space assets is i would say we are kind of lagging and therefore that obviously warrants a huge capex i think that is the first thing that is going to happen if you ask what is going to, what does the industry look like, right? So what are the things that are going to happen sequentially in the industry? One thing is we lack in uh, the volume of launches that we're able to do per year compared to anybody else. Let's say you compare yourself to any other say country or something you're lagging in, uh, in that. So that is going to come up in a big way. I think that I'm bullish about that also, because I think a couple of startups are going to crack this problem very soon within a year's time. I think a couple of startups are going to have their own launch capacity. Other than this, More importantly, the PSLV productionization and involvement of uh, private sector like LNT and HL in that uh, space, as well as uh, the SSLV coming up. And then I think now there are at least five, six old school industries that are now properly into launch vehicles, right? So I think that is something that's going to, the launch capacity buildup is something that's going to happen quite quickly. I think parallel, parallel, the demand for remote sensing data is going to expand and the driving force for this is the fact that uh, a huge number of downstream companies if you think about all the companies in india which are distributing data of say airbus or Plant labs or maxar or so on with some kind of value addition or they're doing data trading i think they've already created the demand and understanding of uh, remote sensing data across multiple different kinds of users. I, I think you've already seen even uh, city municipalities buying satellite data and having a good understanding of how to use it and so on at this stage, right? Uh, via all these companies that is distributing other uh, players' data. I think that CapEx expansion is also something that's going to play out so there's going to be a bunch of companies who are going to you know, pick a part piece of that pie. And then following that, I think you're going to see what you're seeing in uh, say Europe, which is consolidation, which is big fish, big fish eating small fish, where a bunch of companies have to necessarily merge or uh, acquire other companies in order to maintain scale and also to build value along the supply chain. I think that's the roadmap overall for the industry. And then for us also, I think we're going to just keep uh, being a little bit uh, you know, early to the table each time. And then eventually uh, people are going to say, oh, you guys were right. So I think that's, uh, that's, I think the road forward. Right. And,
1: um, out of the, uh, all the things that you actually faced in the last few years, um, you know, what were, I would say, uh, the most interesting challenges that you would say that you cracked. I mean, it will be because every company at these stages, uh, uh, you know, have some things that they can point to, saying that right. uh, this is actually what really made the thing work uh, over the other. Uh, then, uh, and you know, there's some some of these uh, checkpoints, right? Where basically, if that failed, probably the trust in the team or you know the drive to actually go forward uh, would have done uh, would collapse in uh, young companies. So, is there something that you can point to
2: there? I think uh, cracking the fundamental business challenges is where the focus should be, uh, say that. And when I say that, I mean to say things like cracking supply chain, how are you doing pro see, I'll tell you one thing in space, right? So, uh, let's say you take the Indian market. Uh, on the buying on the on the buying side, so between the customer and the guys who are making, say, satellites, for example, uh, that's purely a buyer's market because there's a very few customers, and there is like I think two hundred or three hundred or whatever startups in addition to the old school companies that already exist. That's a buyer's market. But on the other side, in, on your input side, the okay, there's very few component suppliers in the world. Maybe one, two, three for each component that you pick. Maybe there's one, two, three suppliers maximum, right? So on this side, it's a seller's market. So you are you are already facing a market. Margin pressure because of this. So identifying that first of all, you have a margin pressure because on one side, on the sell side, you're in a, a buyers market, and on the buy side, you're in a seller's market, right? So identifying that this is a challenge and that this is a margin pressure, and being able to crack on the uh, supply chain side by having some kind of diversifications or by creating your own suppliers or by integrating into very old school distribution uh, channels such as uh, what we did with uh, Aiden et cetera. So things cracking things like this, I think is what is going to be very satisfying and also uh, is going to create sustainable value in the company. So that is one example. Other than this, uh, with respect to the, I I would say the customer side is actually the easier side because it's very easy to communicate the value of the solution that you're providing because you're solving a problem for them, right? So let's say you're giving a transceiver for X application. So you're communicating very clearly as to why you're better than somebody else at something. Say for example, one of the transceivers that's on uh, a drone platform of DRDO uh, that we supplied it's been in service now for two years uh, the reason that we got into that is because originally there was an American company supplying that uh, particular transceiver however that company went bankrupt and that uh, the availability of that transceiver stopped and therefore we went and made a form fit and function replacement and a better product at a very reasonable price and that's how we cracked that so cracking things along the uh, the basically the business operations side I think that's what is going to be really satisfying Uh, Even more so than uh, creating, uh, let's say, uh, you know, some kind of validation because of uh, an event or something even more so than that cracking fundamental business problems, I think is what is going to give you most amount of conviction in your own business. Uh, because at, like like you said, right, uh, you have to be the first person that uh, has to be convinced that what you're doing makes sense. So the way that uh, you convince yourself that what you're doing makes sense is by cracking your basic business problems. And that's where I think our focus has always been. And I think going forward also, our focus is going to remain on that. So is there... Um, uh... Enough space in the current uh, market
1: scenario for any type of new companies or is the market uh, oversaturated in your uh, perspective? Because I think uh, we've seen a wave of uh, many companies come up. And um, there's also obviously other young companies who have also won uh, some of these IDEX uh, challenges. So what is your reading of the
2: current uh, market scenario? I think the market is open. I think it's open to all. I don't think there's any clear leader at all uh, so far, uh, I don't think there's any clear leader at all, whatsoever, so far. But, uh, like you said, right, it seems like there's a lot of uh, people, there's a huge wave of people who came into this. I think the driving force was that one was uh, driving force for that was probably the fact that the government came out and announced very clearly that they're going to open it up to private players. That's one reason. The other reason is that I think space, uh, there's a lot of fascination at the university level. I think so many universities have had small satellite programs. I think the people who worked on that were also very convinced that they will be able to build a company. In space. I think that's the reason for that, but I would not call it saturation. I would call it clutter or I would call it, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, I would just call it cl- clutter and scattered uh, market. It's, and also I would say that there's no clear winner. So there is definitely space for somebody to come and truly capture a piece of the market. So there is definitely space for new people, especially because there's no clear winners. And I don't see that there's going to be any clear winners for at least I would say at It's going to take a minimum of four years, five years for you to see some kind of clear leaders emerging. Other than that, as of now, I think most people are more or less approximately on the same footing. So I think everybody has a chance still. And uh, also one more thing is that this is a clearly expanding market. Uh, Clearly expanding markets always have uh, opportunities. Yeah,
1: And out of the things that are emerging uh, today, Uh, There are areas uh, where, for example, there can be some uh, very interesting innovation that uh, I see no players at the moment, Uh, especially stuff like um, uh, if you take, um, you know, some sort of uh, advanced mechanisms, uh,
0: um,
1: or if you take areas like, uh, uh, even if you go back to its fundamental science, things like uh, solar cells, for example. uh, Right or uh, if you if you take uh, payloads uh, really miniaturized uh, payloads that can do really high performance uh, to a large extent either in both in optics based or even other other stuff these are all some of the areas where actually i don't find any indian company existing Uh, is there scope in the system to support these kinds of things, or what do you think needs to? Because at the end, if the you mentioned supply chain, the word very often in this conversation, uh, supply chain is also about identifying a lot of the gaps that you have in the system to be able to say that we are going to become uh, independent. And this is exactly what actually the Chinese have been able to do very effectively yeah. in their country as well.
2: Yeah, very true. I think you brought up a great point. uh, So you're kind of speaking about uh, components companies or uh, say midstream companies, things like this. And the reason that you don't see too many of them right now is because I understand that there is an opportunity because somebody, there's no players in it. But the reason that there's no players in it is because of what I spoke about earlier, right? So every industry has a business cycle and a way in which it evolves. And the way it which involves it in India is like how I mentioned, right? First, that launch vehicle capacity has to be built up and then the upstream capacities at the, at the system integration level has to be built up. And parallelly, the downstream people are going to build up the, the use case for data and things like that, right? So the, the the people who are going to get the most amount of traction first are going to be the downstream players and the upstream players both at a system integration and problem solving level, right? So these are the people who are going to get the first level of traction. And then when they start trying to more and more uh, have control over their supply chain, that's when your components guys are going to see a real opportunity. Say, for example, even we work with a company based out of Hyderabad uh, for optics, our optical payloads come from this particular company and they're a startup and uh, they are going to have to. So think about it. They're going to get business after I get business, right? Uh, because I am the guy who's going to be buying from them. So that is the reason why those gaps are going to be left. But those gaps will get super quickly filled the second the downstream and upstream guys really make two, three proper headwinds and two, three large projects. And that's when those guys will really get integrated into the supply chain. So it's a question of which part of the value chain can be formed first. That's, uh, I think, the question. And definitely, like you said, there is tremendous amount of opportunity in components and other midstream things and uh, so on. I think, uh, but like I said, there's going to be a lag in that market development compared to uh, pure downstream data processing kind of plays and pure upstream like launch vehicle and satellite kind of plays. I think these two will happen first and then all the components guys holes are going to get filled in. And uh, like you said, uh, this is something that the Chinese have been doing very well. And this is a priority for us, us as well because we want to be the anchor customer to everybody in our supply chain. We want to be the most important customer to the guy who sells the EO systems or the EO payloads. We want to be the most important customers to the guy who's building very advanced mechanisms and so on. Right. So, so when we have that approach, I think we will be playing a role in creating that, uh, uh opportunity in the ecosystem. I think many other people, I think everybody else is also doing has similar thoughts on this. I think everybody else who's in a similar line of work as us, uh, also has similar ideas where they also want to develop local suppliers and local startups for their own uh, consumption okay so
1: with, uh, thank you so much for spending uh, so much time with me let's say one last final question uh, where do you see kepler uh, in 5 years and you know what do you think you would have achieved in that time frame
2: I think five years is a good amount of time for us to have consolidated a significant amount of the value chain in ISR so you will already be seeing us delivering both uh, ISR data as a service and you'll also be able uh, you'll be seeing us uh, you know being able to deliver constellations of satellites for these applications for people who want to own it I think that's where we're going to be in five years uh, and the long goal is of course our overall vision is to be the primary security player in space so uh, whether it's looking at Earth or whether we are talking about future spacefaring and so on, we want to be a primary space infrastructure backbone uh, for the space industry, and that's where you will see us. That's the direction you'll see us heading, and this is, I think, where we're going to be in uh, five years' time. So, Kiran, thank you so much for taking time to speak Good luck with everything,
1: and obviously, if you need any sort of help that I can obviously do, I'm always uh, open to. Uh, supporting all of the companies, especially that is brewing in India. Uh, Good luck with everything. I think it's a crazy amount of uh, progress that you guys have done, given Corona, given other things that have happened in the process. So good luck with everything in the future.
2: Thank you so much. And you're always the first person I ask for anything. So always awesome talking to you, NP. Thank
0: you for listening in to this episode of the New Space India podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, Please share this episode with anyone you believe will enjoy listening to it. You'll be able to find the New Space India podcast in any of the podcasting platforms that you may be using, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and others. Do subscribe to the podcast in case you want to receive new episodes automatically. I'm grateful if you're able to leave a rating for the podcast, which will help others discover it. Thank you for listening in again, and the next episode will be out in the next two weeks as usual.